good morning, Frontline family. Welcome online with us today. It's so good to be with you here this morning. Today is the day that the Lord has, has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And wherever you are this morning, church, let us just switch off from the things of the world, all the negative news, all the fear that has gripped the world, all the uncertainty about the future. And let's put our hope and our trust and our certainty in the one that has created everything that exists. The one that has created the heavens and the earth, the one that has created us and holds our lives in the palm of his hands. So just for a few moments today, let's switch off from all of that and let's observe the magnificence of our God and submit everything that we assume to be important to the Savior of this world and allow him to bring everything into perspective as we enter into his living word this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you today and submit our lives to you this morning in the wonderful name of Jesus. As we contemplate the magnificence of your glory today, as we go through this word, give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear the truth that will allow us to fully comprehend what it means for us as the children of God to live lives that bring glory to your grace over this world and what that really means for us here on earth and for eternity. Lord, let us be a people that really grasp what it means to live lives that count for you. And may we be put on a course today where we consider everything else in this world and what we've accumulated to this point as nothing compared to the race that you've called us to run that leads straight into your loving arms. Holy Spirit, come and have your way in us today. Come and transform us for your glory. Anoint the words that come out of our mouth this morning and the ears of those listening. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It's good to be together with you this morning, church. And I have a word to share with you today that has really stirred up my faith, my faith and brought quite a few things into perspective for me. And I'm trusting it will do the same for you today as well. I want to speak to you today about living a life that counts. Living a life that counts. And just to be clear, I'm talking about living a life that counts for God, a life that honors Him, a life that brings glory to Him. And I want to try and open you up to a truth today, church, that it is better to lose your life than to waste it. If you're going to live a life that counts for God, you're going to live it to the degree where you don't look back at your life one day and realize that you've wasted it. And so the theme that will come through over and over again this morning is live a life that counts for God. We're going to go to Acts chapter 20 this morning and I'm going to give you a little background about this, this story and then show you the passage of scripture where I'm going to draw all my points that I hope God will use to shape your thinking and my thinking for the rest of our lives. The Apostle Paul spent three years of his life ministering to the people at Ephesus, longer than he had spent anywhere else, it is believed. He had left and gone over to Corinth to spend the winter there. Now he's eager to get back to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And he's in such a hurry. And he knows if he stops in Ephesus to minister to the church there, he will be consumed. And so he wants to at least speak to the leaders of the church and he waits in Miletus, which is a town a little south of Ephesus and he sends word to the church whom he loves very much and he calls the elders down and gives them this talk that is found here 
in Acts chapter 20. And it is a very touching moment. And we know this because in verse 37 and 38 it says, And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. A very moving moment. Now the type of message that Paul was bringing to these elders' church was the type of message that you could compare to a pastor addressing his church for the very last time. The type of message that a mom or a dad would be giving to their grandchildren or their great-grandchildren on their deathbed. It was a type of message that you really want to listen to because it's coming straight from the heart and it will impact you for the rest of your life. And that's the type of message that Paul was giving to these leaders in Acts chapter 20. You know, he had relationship with them. They loved him. He loved them. It was a very special moment, but at the same time, it was, was life-changing. And you know, when you read this passage of Scripture and it begins to resonate with you and begins to change you, it has the, the effect, church, of making you want to sell everything and become a very radical Christian and do something crazy. Go to some place where nobody expects you to go and just utterly sell out everything for the sake of the gospel. You know, just do something that people would say, well, that's weird. That's just way crazy. That's the effect that it can have on you. It's a type of message, church, also that is completely out of sync with what a lot of us know as living the dream. You know, you see these things all over social media. People post things and say, I'm living the dream, baby. I'm living the dream. But you see, church, the world is trying to brainwash and sell you this concept of a life where you spend your whole young life working and slogging away day after day just to have enough to go and put your feet in the beach sand somewhere in the Bahamas at the end of your life. And I'm calling you today not to buy into that. Everybody is trying to get you to buy this dream about your life and its conclusion, don't buy it. Scripture has something else to say about this. I'm going to read verse 22 to 25 for you and then we'll focus in on the different verses individually. This is what it says. And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. And church, if I had to paraphrase what Paul is saying here, he is saying in essence that it is better to lose your life than to waste it. He's saying, live a life that counts. I want to read verse 24 again for you. This is very, very significant. It says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify 
to the gospel of the grace of God. So what's he saying here? He's saying, I don't count my life of any value or dear to myself except for one thing. That I have been given a ministry to perform and I have a race to run. That's why I live. And when that's over, I'm over. But until I'm not over, that's not over. Right? So run the race. Don't stop. Don't leave the course. Don't retreat. If you do, your life is wasted. Paul is saying, my goal in life is not to stay alive. My goal in life is to stay on, on course. And if I'm off course, I'm on my way to nowhere. Paul says it again in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And church, that word rubbish is a nice word for actually the word which means human excrement or human waste. That's how he counts everything else compared to his relationship with Christ. So one of the things that Paul would count as rubbish is staying alive, living for a hundred years, making a hundred million rand, never getting sick, never suffering any emotional pain, all the while running through the fields or on the beach somewhere with the wind blowing through your hair. He says, I count that as rubbish. That kind of success, living the dream, no issues or pain in your life, that's a wasted life. That's not a life that counts according to Scripture. Now, I just want to pause there for a moment, church, and acknowledge that this is somewhat difficult for us to hear. Believe me, it's a difficult thing for me to say this. Because you and I have been programmed our whole lives to live differently and think differently. The whole system of this world from the day that we are born is designed to get us to chase after this dream. This dream of creating a life for ourselves and our families so that we can be set up for our retirement. And to a large degree, that's all we do day after day after day. We keep on chasing this thing. And yes, church, we need to be good stewards of what God has given us. But again, I want to make a call to you today not to buy into this deception. It is better to lose your life than to waste it. And to deal with this idea that Scripture is submitting to us, I want to ask you two questions this morning. Number one, what is it like? What does it look like when you live a life that counts for God? If that's what you want to do, what does it look like? That's my first question, and I'll give you a couple of answers to that question that we'll take from Scripture. And the second question, very simply, is why is it better to lose your life than to waste it? Right? In other words, why should I live a life that counts for God? So let's get into it. What does it look like when you live a life that counts for God? Number one, it looks like being mastered or conquered by a person and a power, not your own. Let me say that again. It looks like being mastered or conquered by a person and a power, not your own. Paul says in verse 22, Now I go bound in the Spirit 
to Jerusalem. Right? He's not going bound in chains. He's going bound in the spirit. And he says, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. Church, living a life that counts, number one, means I will need to be comfortable that my life will be guided and controlled by a greater power than my own. If I submit to it. It's being willing to rest in the Lord and take your hands off the wheel. We spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. That's number one. Answer, num- answer number two to the question is being at rest or being content, not knowing what tomorrow will bring. Again, verse 22, he says, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. A life that counts, church looks death in the face and says, you're not a threat to me. And I don't need to know about tomorrow. Who cares? I don't need to know because whatever comes my way, he is for me and he is with me. Come on. Abraham, it says in Hebrews 11 verse 8, it says that by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And church, I get it. I get this type of life may sound crazy and risky to you, right? But it's a glorious type of crazy. It's a glorious life. That's what it is. It's the way Jesus was. It's what he calls us to be. When we live a life that counts, we don't need to know about tomorrow. And I know that's hard for most of us to accept because Most of us want to know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. You know, we need to know what's going to happen tomorrow, the next couple of months, or the next couple of years. We want to know how our lives are going to pan out. I'm guessing that some of you this morning, if not all of you, are wondering how 2020 is going to turn out because of COVID-19. Right? What will the ultimate impact be, and when will this thing actually finish? There are those of you who are in certain grades this morning, you're not even sure if you're going to have to redo the year again next year. There are those of you that have so many questions about the future, especially now, but you know what? You'll never know till you get there. And yes, that may sound scary. And yes, that may be uncertain and just crazy thinking if you're the type of person that wants to control what happens in your life. But to live a life that counts, you need to be okay with not knowing what tomorrow will bring. Number three, what does it look like when you live a life that counts for God? Answer number three, it is being courageous enough not to stop running the race when the course leads through suffering. It's being courageous enough so so that when the race course turns through fire and darkness, you don't say, I'm out of here. I'm done. I don't want this. I'm not following God like this. Not me. In the second part of verse 22, Paul says, not knowing the things that will happen to me there. So he confesses ignorance in that that part of the verse. But then he adds in verse 23, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations await me. Right? So it's not just that the race course you're running disappears over the hill into an unknown future, which it does, because truthfully, you and I don't know what's going to happen at three o'clock this afternoon. But it also undeniably takes turns through suffering. 
That's a known outcome for Christians. That's not an unknown. That's why Jesus said, count the cost if you're going to become a Christian, right? He says, if you're going to build a tower, don't build it halfway and realize that you shouldn't have started in the first place and now you want to pull out. Don't do that. Don't go up against an army that you can't defeat. Count the cost. If you can't be a Christian, don't start being a Christian. Don't fool around. Count the cost. So we know that this is part of the price that we have to pay as Christians. In all of his churches that Paul ministered to church, he said through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. And you know what? That's discipleship 101. If you're a connect group leader or if you, if you are mentoring a, a brand new Christian, you better let them know from the get-go that, that suffering is on the way. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right? So not a few of you, not some of you, not most of you, or those of you that are, are living in countries where the churches are underground, all who desire to li live a godly life will be persecuted. And you see, church, if there's no pushback in your life, if there's nothing different in your life since you've become a Christian, you're hiding something. You're hiding godliness. And you may just be heading off course and running in the wrong direction. The Holy Spirit testified to Paul that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions awaited him. So whether it's imprisonment or whether it's afflictions of another kind, it'll be something. The race course of the Christian life leads through suffering. And if you can honestly say with Paul that it's better to lose your life than to waste it, it will mean being content not only with the uncertainty about the future, but with the certainty that it's going to get a little rough along the way. Number four, what does it look like when you live a life that counts for God? It's living to make much of the greatness and the glory of the grace of God as your supreme and ultimate treasure. Your life and my life is about making much with my actions, my words, my music, my computer skills, my acting, my nursing, my electrical skills, my banking skills, my administration skills, is to make much of the glory of the grace of God. That's why I'm on the planet. I'm here to, to make Him look famous. Especially His grace by which I live. And the only reason I'd be happy forever is because of this grace. I live to make much of and magnify His grace. Verse 24 again, I'm going to read it, says, I do not count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus. And then here's how he defines the ministry. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I live to testify to grace. I live for one reason. To make grace look as great as it is in Christ Jesus. So church, we don't have all the same forms of ministry. But we do all have, I think, the same aim. The same ultimate aim in ministry. Which is to magnify the glory and the greatness of 
of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. That's the race course that we're all on. Yes, it takes different turns. It has different starting and finishing points. It has different speeds by which we move. It has different kinds of tribulations and different circumstances. There are ups and downs for everybody. But my course in life, whatever I do, I do to make much of the greatness and the glory of the grace of God. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 to 6 sums this up beautifully. It says, He, referring to God, predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. Church, that's the ultimate meaning of life. I don't want you to miss this today. God from eternity predestined that a people would be His by adoption, through redemption. And why did He do that? Unto the praise of the glory of His grace. The ultimate reason why we have been created is to make the glory of the grace of God look like it really is in a fallen and dark world. So a life that doesn't count for God is a life that leaves that race course and fails to amplify the grace of God. Number five, my last answer to this first question. What does it look like when you live a life that counts for God? It means the spirit-controlled person, the courageous person who's going into the unknown future, the suffering, embracing person, this person that lives to glorify God and only God has the mindset that says, I will not live my life chasing after some fabricated dream. Not as a student, not as a young adult, not as a middle-aged person or a 70 or an 80-something. I'm not living for that dream. I'm going to Jerusalem. Paul says, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem. He goes bound. And in your, you know, church, you could say at this moment, but Paul, how about you're getting old? How about a little cottage on the beach somewhere? Your life is already more productive and fruitful in your ministry than most people in 10 lifetimes. I mean, you've done enough. You've risked your life often enough. You've almost been killed how many times already? You've been in just about every prison in the Roman world. Let the last 20 years of your life be travel and golf. Join the bowling club. Mess around in the garage, dig in the garden. I mean, surely you can let Timothy have a chance. He's young. Don't go to Jerusalem. I mean, Paul, don't you remember what Agabus said is going to happen to you if you go there? Agabus said they're going to, they're going to bind you in your hands, they're going to bind your feet, and they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles. Don't go to Jerusalem. Dream a better dream. I mean, Paul, this is just not the ultimate dream of the sunset years. And church, I'm not just talking to the older generation this morning. I'm talking to all generations because there are whole industries to the tune of billions and trillions that are designed to prepare you for that. And to get you to think about it for the next 50 years so that you will buy it and then they will profit from it. And don't get me wrong this morning, church. If God has blessed you with finances and you can retire when you're 50 years old, that's awesome. 
This is not about you not being successful where God has placed you and given you a platform to fulfill your ministry. I'm just pleading with you. Don't go and collect shells on a beach somewhere and tan your body till you look like leather. Rather give yourself to something crazy. Something radical for a, for a 40 or a 50 or a 60 or a 70 year old. Whenever you retire is irrelevant. What matters is what you do with it. I want to read you Proverbs chapter 4 verse 18 this morning and you might not have ever looked at it in this way. It says, But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. Remember, we're talking about being on a race course this morning. We've been on this course that God is calling us on, this ministry that He's given us. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. Church, the Christian life is not moving toward night or sunset. It's moving toward midday, the brightest part of the day. There are no sunset years in the Christian life. It's only from dawn till noon, which means it just shines brighter and brighter and brighter. It doesn't head towards sunset or darkness, which means, church, that you don't have to scramble to bring heaven into this world, which is the entire mindset of the rest of the world that's spending billions and trillions to get you to buy the dream or to prepare you to buy the dream. Because they don't believe there's any vacation on the other side of the grave so they want you to bring it all into this side because they believe this is your last chance it's your last chance to get the dream but as Christians we say excuse me last chance midday is the beginning of my vacation it's the beginning of every type of joy you can begin to imagine but you see, no one else believes that. And that's why they have to cram it all into this life and, and play like fools for the last 20 years of their life. I mean, that's just its ridiculous. And I'm just pleading with you here this morning, you do not need to buy into this deception. So those are my five answers to what does it look like when you live a life that counts for God. And the answer to my last question is very short so why is it better to lose your life than to waste it why should I live a life that, that counts for God here's my thoughts on this it is better to lose your life than to waste it because when you lose it while not wasting it you don't lose it you gain it and everything else that comes with it it's better to lose your life than to waste it because if you lose it while not wasting it, you actually don't lose it. You gain it. You gain the promises of a life unimaginable in Christ Jesus. And church, when you gain it, you gain it crowned. You gain it crowned. Which means that the race has been won. Everybody who stays on course and loses his or her life, whether it's at 20 or 50 or 90 years old, everybody gets the crown. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. 
and not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. If you live a life that counts, you win this crown. And listen to this church, I want you to get this picture in your mind. This crown of righteousness will be put on your head by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What a breathtaking reality. You will share His righteousness, you will share His rule, and you will share His glory. This slight momentary affliction on this race course of life, this ministry that you've been given, this light momentary affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And you're going to look back one day, if you don't waste your life after all of its temptations and all of its ups and downs, and you're going to be so glad that you lived a life that counted for God. So let me all, let me sum it up all for you in one moment as I close this morning. If you want to live a life that counts for God, it means being under the control of a power, not your own, which is the Holy Spirit. It's being courageous in the face of an unknown future, which is coming. It's overcoming the fear of the course that runs through suffering and tribulation, which is certain. It's living to make much of the glory of the grace of God as your supreme and ultimate treasure. And it's putting everything that you have into your ministry, whatever that may be, from start to finish, from dawn to midday, because there's no sunset years for Christians. And if losing your life while not wasting it means you gain it crowned, then my obvious call to you today is live a life that counts. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that you would let this word not only make sense to us, but that it would change us to the very core of who we are and what we have believed and lived to this point of our lives. And even though we may not know exactly what this means in its entirety today, Lord, we want to say that we commit not to waste our lives for you. We're not going to waste it. And we resolve with everything that we have that we will run a race that will bring glory to your grace in Christ Jesus. Amen. And if you're listening to this today, and if you're not a Christian, but you want to make a commitment to follow this God that I've been talking about this morning, I'd like to give you an opportunity to commit your life and your heart to Jesus this morning. If there's something happening in your heart and you're saying, that's me, I want you to repeat this following prayer after me. Dear God in heaven, I come to you in Jesus' name. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I am sorry for my sins and the life that I have lived. I need your forgiveness. I believe that your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, shed his precious blood on the cross of Calvary and died for my sins. And I am now willing to turn from my sin. You said in the Bible that if we confess the Lord our God and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, we shall be saved. So right now, I confess Jesus as my Lord. 
with my whole heart, I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. This very moment, I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And according to His word, right now, I am saved. And from today, I declare that my life belongs to you. I am now your son or your daughter. And I am privileged to call you my father. I open up my heart to receive your love and all that you have for me. I receive the Holy Spirit of God to lead me, to guide me, and to teach me all the days of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And if you prayed this prayer this morning, please call the number that will come onto the screen shortly after I finish with my message this morning. And please contact us so that we can help you on this journey. And we just want to say that this commitment that you've made is an awesome commitment. And heaven is celebrating with us as we welcome you into the kingdom of God this morning. So church, we just want to thank you for joining us this morning. It's been so awesome to spend time together again with you. Have a blessed Sunday further. We love you and we miss you very much.